This morning we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse, 12 and follow, verse 9 and following. I'd like to just read uh, the Lord's Prayer again. This then, Jesus said, is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus said this commentary on the passage we are focusing on today about forgiveness. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray together. Lord, we gather on this beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, we come at the end of a week that has been a turbulent one in our culture. So many in pain, so many that are angry. And Lord, people that are feeling injustice, people that are feeling confusion, people that are feeling rage, and all different stripes and circles and directions, all these emotions are flowing. And Lord, we look to you to minister grace to people that are in sorrow today, to minister grace and gentleness to people that are feeling fear. I pray, God, that we as your people might lean into you, that we might understand, that we might learn, that we might listen to one another, and that even this passage, as we think about that forgiveness would be the heart's cry of all of us and the extension of mercy toward one another. Teach us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My family, uh, for years, has taken our, or took our family vacation for years up to northern Michigan, which is where my wife is from. And Marion's folks uh, have a home there, and 200 yards off of their home, they have a cottage that is right on a beautiful lake in northern Michigan. And the lakes in northern Michigan are like the shore and the Poconos for here in New Jersey. They're where people go to, from the southern part of the state all go up to these pristine, crystal clear lakes and they live on one of those. And we go up there, and, and the woods are, are mostly conifer forests, pines, and it's just a beautiful place. And, and we found, as we have gone up there most summers, that what we find when, when we get there is that we immediately start to relax. And one of the reasons we start to relax, and I tried to explain this to my, my mother-in-law once, I said it... it just the, there is an air that feels different, whether it's the smell or the environment or whatever it is, that there is, it feels fresh and light and revitalizing. For some of you, this is what the shore does to you as well, that everybody's on vacation, there's practically no cell phone reception, that nobody's really on schedule and you're in this beautiful environment and the, 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 you are breathing the air of rest and renewal and relaxation and now you're all depressed. But the very air feels different to us. 
This morning, we're going to talk about the fifth thing that Jesus talks to us about praying for. And this particular one is the thing that we are to have, I believe, as the very air, the very atmosphere of our lives is to be the atmosphere of forgiveness. Jesus says two things in this prayer about breathing the air of forgiveness. This this new air, this refreshing air that comes through the Spirit of God in our lives. The first thing he says is that we are a receptor of forgiving grace. He starts this passage, of course, with our Father. And then he says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We have already experienced forgiveness. He is our Father. And the entrance to the relationship with God as our Father has come about through the means of forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us. The expression he uses here is forgive us our debts. And this reality is something that has ultimately taken place in our standing with God. A debt is simply what is owed, what should have been given to someone And our debt is towards God. We did not fulfill the obligation of living our life in communion with God, according to God's design. We've betrayed the relationship He designed for us as His his people made in His image. But He forgave us. And so we stand no longer culpable, no longer under, under the sentence of having debts, Towards God. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says it this way. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ has made us free through the law of the Spirit. Has set us free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under this this law that is condemning us. We are not condemned anymore. We have been forgiven. I remember hearing the story once of a father that took his family and they were, they were up in the woods camping and they had backpacked up into a, uh, an isolated place and a forest fire broke out and there was no way for them to escape. It was coming from, uh, they were surrounded by the fire and so what he quickly did is he cleared some ground and, and, he, and he, he went around, he got the family, got a big enough circle and put them in the middle of it and he, he, he quickly put Uh, sticks and branches and and leaves and set a fire so it went in a a trail around a circle around his family and burned the ground out there and as the flames came it came to the ground that had already been burned and did not enter the the dirt trodden area where his family was and basically what had happened was the fire will not burn what where it has already burned If you stand in the burned over place, you're safe. And the burned over place for the Christian is the cross. That Jesus Christ has already taken the burn for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for our sins. Forgiveness then has resulted in this relationship where God is our Father. And we are then accepted in Christ, into eternal membership in God's family, we belong. We belong to God, to His family. He is our Father. 
We are his kids. This has come through what Jesus did for us. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been accepted unconditionally. But Jesus says here, I want you to pray for it. Well, why are we praying for forgiveness if we have already experienced this removal of debt? And what we pray for when he says, forgive us our debts, is in our day-to-day lives, we still mess up the enjoyment of our relationship with God. As with any relationship, our sin towards someone else raises a barrier between us and them. It causes us to have in practical life experience an indebtedness, something we owe, we need to make right, something, an offense that needs to be forgiven is what 1 John 1.9 is talking about when it says, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yet, he is talking there to people that have already been born again, have already experienced Christ's eternal forgiveness. What is he saying? Well, I would say it this way. We are eternally accepted into God's family. We belong. But we still do unacceptable things that impact our relationship with the Father and to some degree with the family. When we slander someone else or gossip, we steal from their reputation. We, we owe them. When we do harsh words to someone, we hurt them. We steal from their well-being. We owe them. When we disobey our parents, we disdain their authority and steal from them honor and respect. We owe them. We ridicule, lie, unkind deeds, all create debts we owe. When we commit adultery, we steal from our spouse, we owe them. And our sin against God in the relational part is a debt and we owe Him that. And our betrayal is something where we confess, Lord, screwed up again. It doesn't affect your relationship. You're in the family. You're in the family. You will never be out. But there is a barrier in your relationship to God, just as there is in in your human family or a loved one. You've erected a barrier there that God does accept us into the family. We have been forgiven positionally, eternally in our standing with God. But still, there is the need of confession of those sins. Anne Lamont Uh, makes the statement of, of her favorite bumper sticker she ever saw. She said, God accepts you just the way you are in Christ, but he loves you too much to let you stay like this. In her earthly way, I think she's saying, because we're accepted in Christ into God's family, we have eternal forgiveness, we are not under condemnation, we don't have to measure up, but still, In day-to-day life, we still have barriers, and God is continuing in His love to change us and draw us to Him. But we are not only receptors of God's forgiveness. We are extenders of God's forgiveness, forgiving grace. And this is what he says in verse 12. He says this, And God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he elaborates on this in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now it sounds like God is making his forgiveness 
dependent on ours. God's saying, you know, sort of tit for tat, you, you, you forgive, and then I'll forgive you. I don't think that's what it's saying. It's not saying we earn forgiveness by forgiving other people. Our forgiveness is all of grace. It is all the mercy of God. So what is he saying? Well, there's a parable of Jesus that I think helps to clarify this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It's called uh, by most historically, uh, the tradition, traditional title of this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it starts with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, believe it or not, in modern day 2020 uh, accounting, this actually is $6 billion. I mean, Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. This is a big amount of money this guy owes. And so this guy's brought to the, the, the king, and it says, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, this also isn't a pittance. That's about $12,000 today. But compared to $6 billion, well, you can do the math. And he says he grabbed him and began to choke this guy. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the king everything that had happened. Then the king called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So what, what is Jesus saying here when he says, our forgiving others is somehow tied in to God's forgiving us. I think what he's saying is that if we are breathing the air of forgiveness, we forgive others. Jesus in this parable is describing how his kingdom functions. It starts off with this statement. The kingdom of heaven is like this. In other words, this is the way things operate in Jesus' kingdom. They operate where you who have been forgiven and have breathed the air of the freedom of that forgiving grace naturally would be extenders of this. Now, here's where he uses the parable to say this is what it should not be like. First, the unmerciful servant is forgiven an, an extraordinarily amazing amount. Second, he proceeds to not forgive the person in debt to him. His failure to extend grace was proof that he did not value the grace and the mercy offered to him. Jesus' argument is that in the kingdom of God naturally, such mercy and grace will transform the operating principles of a person's life. That this, is the, that this is the anticipation that if a person has truly been forgiven, the expression of that will be forgiving others. And I think what he's arguing here in the Lord's Prayer commentary 
is that if one does not forgive others, it's likely that they have not been the receptor of forgiving grace themselves. That this guy had not embraced and breathed in the new air of his own forgiveness. He's still operating on the old playing field of dog-eat-dog. Squeeze every penny out of others you can. Do to others before they do to you. If they hit you, hit them back twice as hard. He was not breathing the air of forgiveness and extending mercy because he had not been a true receptor of it in himself. Breathing the air of forgiveness impacts the way we respond to others. We grace others because we are graced. We forgive because we are forgiven. The even as of the Lord's Prayer, and I'm referring to when he says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors, is the Lord's Prayer, I think, paraphrased would be this. While we live as members of your kingdom, operating in the atmosphere of those who have been forgiven and been made your children, and responding as forgivers to others who have debts toward us, do, Father, forgive our daily sins. He says, this is the way it operates. That we are, we are extenders, we, we are receptors, and we are extenders again. The longer we breathe in the air of God's forgiveness, the more we see the desperate evil of our own hearts and understand the debt we owe to God. The more we delight in its air as receptors, then as extenders, the more we delight in the prayer, Father, forgive us today our daily debts, even as we are learning to forgive others. It's the air of the kingdom, the air of forgiveness. What I'd like to do is just take a few minutes to reflect on some principles of forgiveness that I believe are foundational to what this passage is asking us to pray for. What is this? What what are the qualities of this forgiveness? Is saying, Lord, forgive us, even as we ourselves are learning to forgive others. One principle of forgiveness, if we are to be forgiving, is forgiveness requires honest assessment of the debt. Now, the debt again is not receiving what you should have. It is forgiveness is. An honest, requires an honest assessment of the way you've been wronged. Miroslav Vol, in his book, Free of Charge, and and to me, he's written some of the, the greatest works on forgiveness of any Christian writer. Miroslav says this, justice requires equivalent repayment. Forgiveness cuts the tie of equivalence between the offense and the way we treat the offender. I don't demand that the one who has taken my eye loses eye. In forgiving, I absorb the injury the way I may absorb, say, the financial impact of a bad business transaction. To forgive is first to blame, not then to punish. That's a very important statement. Forgiveness is not burying real wrongs and and, and being unwilling to think about it because you, you know them. You feel them. You're living out of them. You you can try to bury them, but the idea is we honestly assess them. We look them in the face, 
And he says, forgiveness is, requires blame. It requires saying, I was wronged. As I understand it, and maybe I don't have the full picture, but what I understand is there was real wrong perpetrated upon me. And he says, to truly forgive, you honestly assess. But it is then choosing to not hold it against the person who did it to them. In other words, that's what he's saying is then, I absorb the injury. I hold on to, I, I forgive the debt. But you can't forgive what you have not honestly acknowledged. This was wrong. I was wronged. Secondly, forgiveness will often come in stages. Sometimes we barely manage to make a start. In her book, again, Anne Lamont, who writes, uh, it's called Plan B, Further Thoughts on Faith. Anne Lamont grew up with a very, very difficult uh, mom and struggled and in her very earthy way. She said this, I prayed for my heart to soften, she wrote, but my heart remained hardened toward her. I refused to be nice to her and didn't forgive her being a furious, clinging, sucking maw of need and arrogance. This is where she started as she tried to struggle through forgiveness to her mother. But then she writes this. She said, and she said, even after she took the first halting steps of forgiveness, she said, I discovered that I had forgiven her for a number of things, although for none of the big ticket items. But then she said this, still the mosaic chips of forgiveness I felt were a start. Often forgiveness is, is, a, is a process that we, 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 we have to work through. That's why forgiveness is, is not always instantaneous. Oh yeah, no problem, no big. I mean, there's all kinds of levels we're working through, we're processing, we're coming to really understand even what is true. A third principle of forgiveness is forgiveness should not be demanded by the perpetrator or those who have benefited by the wrong. There's nothing more tone deaf than a spouse who has severely wronged their spouse, immediately expecting forgiveness. We get it, right? I mean, it, it seems tone deaf and, and it is inappropriate. You can seek forgiveness but you can't require and you can't push. And certainly if you're the perpetrator, I personally believe this has relevance to those of us who are majority culture, toward those who have felt and feel mistreated and misrepresented. We need to seek to understand, not to correct, not to insist, get over it and forgive, to give space, to realize that forgiveness is not instantaneous for many. It, and, and, and those of us who have benefited by what is perceived as injustices need to just give grace and time and understanding. A third thing regarding forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful evidences of Christ in your life. A few years ago, we had a man in our church whose name was Doug Bradley, Doug and his wife, Carol. Doug had been a missionary uh, to the Middle East for many years with crew ministries. And one day, Doug left suddenly to go over to the Middle East. 
And where he was going was to a funeral as a result of something that had just happened to three uh, Christian pastors that he knew in Turkey. It actually became a, a national, well, international news story. What had happened on an Easter Sunday morning was in, in a, a, a very um, anti-Christian culture, predominantly Muslim culture. They had held Easter Sunday services and five uh, individuals that had professed themselves to be seekers of Christianity asked to meet with the pastors. And a couple of days later at the pre-appointed time at 10 o'clock in the morning, they came to the pastor's office and there were three Christian uh, pastors there. And uh, These men came in, and it turned out they were part of a terrorist organization. And at a a planned uh, event, they brought in all the tools to torture these men to death for hours. And there are all kinds of secular news stories that recount what went on, which I'm not going to share with you. I'll just mention that this part that the, the three men, one was stabbed 156 times, one 99 times, and one was stabbed so many times they couldn't count it. And they were allowed to survive as long as they could. Eventually the police caught wind of it and came, and at the end of the event, uh, two of the men had already died, and the other died soon after he was rescued. One of the wives of one of the pastors was interviewed on the uh, national on a national broadcast, and she spoke for the other women. And they asked her about her reaction, and she uh, a number of times, actually, in the in the succeeding days publicly forgave the killers, repeating the words of Christ, we, we believe they ultimately do not know what they're doing. And forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The interesting response of that actually came from the secular press and the press of, of the Turkish newspapers. One author, excuse me, one reporter summarized it this way. In a country where blood for blood revenge is as normal as breathing, what she said in one sentence accomplished what 1,000 missionaries in 1,000 years could never do. There is a power of forgiveness that is so contrary to the flesh, to, to our natural human fallen state which immediately cries out for vengeance, for, for them getting theirs. Forgiveness is such a powerful polemic and apologetic for the gospel. Andy Stanley says it this way, If you're a Christian, you aren't expected to treat others the way you've been treated. You're called to treat other people the way you've been treated by your Father in heaven. You don't forgive because the other person deserves it. You forgive because you've been forgiven. We forgive because Christ has forgiven us.
And because Christ is willing to forgive through us. And there is perhaps no declaration of the power of Christ more powerful than the extending of mercy of forgiveness of the child of God. A fifth principle is this. Forgiveness is evidenced by not remembering details. Bitterness, on the other hand, when someone is steeped in bitterness, they remember every detail. Why? Is it just because they're so marked by the event? I would suggest no. We remember what we rehearse. Bitterness causes us to bring it around and around and around and around in our mind. And a bitter person is invariably an individual who is just constantly replaying the recording of how they were wrong. They remember the narrative and, and, and will, over time, if they are truly bitter, they'll expand on the narrative and it will become more and more clear to them, in their, in, at least in their own perception. Forgiveness is evidenced by not remembering details. Joseph makes a remarkable statement in the book of Genesis. Joseph, who had been incredibly wronged by his brothers, I mean, they, they, they sold him into slavery because they were jealous and irritated with him. And years later, uh, he, they come to him. They don't recognize him. Of course, he's the second guy to Pharaoh. And, they're, they're, and he makes a remarkable statement to them that God has made me forget all my hardships of my father's house. And he forgave them. He says, who am I to hold this against you? And it's a remarkable thing that he named one of his two first sons. The name Manasseh, which means one who causes to be forgotten. Joseph was able to forgive. His heart had already been turned to his brothers because he had, he had chosen to, to let it go. I remember Robert E. Lee one time, uh, the, the general uh, of the South, and after he had, uh, after the war and post-war Civil War days, he was visiting a, a woman whose plantation had been uh, ransacked by the northern troops as they had come through. And she had a big, beautiful tree in her yard that had just been uh, the glory of the farm, the plantation. And it had been hit by cannon fire, and it was now dead, and, and the branches were broken. And it was just a, a, a testament to her of, of the hated Yankees and what they'd done. And she took General Lee out there, and she said, do you see what those blankety-blank Yankees did, and, and uh, the proof, here, here was the visual. And he said, he said, woman, cut it down and move on. Forgiveness enables you to do that. Bitterness does not. It just keeps the, the tree in the yard. It just, it just keeps you looking at the tree. It keeps you dominated by the tree. Forgiveness last is, is enhanced by being among forgiven forgivers. I'm just going to make a, a, a practical present application today. One of the greatest influences in our lives are other people whose voices are speaking into us. If you're doing life and you're hearing and, and being influenced by people that 
are living out the grace of forgiveness, who are living out a spirit of quietness and extending mercy to others, that will significantly impact the way your heart will be living. But one of the biggest problems right now in our culture, and it is certainly impacting the people of God, is people are only listening to the voices of other angry people. Either those that agree with you or disagree with you, both will make you angry. Both will make you bitter. Both will tend to to create an unforgiving spirit in us. We need to to be around people and and to listening to people, ultimately the voice of God, but others as well that will say, cut down the tree, let it go. We need to be gracing each other by ourselves being forgiven forgivers. It's what Jesus says we should pray for. Father, forgive me even as I am living in the atmosphere of that forgiveness and extending it to others. Who we're listening to, who we're reading, who we're hearing will deeply impact our capacity to do that. Let's pray. Lord, surely the spirit of this prayer is one that we desperately need as your children. God, we live aware that we have been forgiven, but we need to breathe its very air. Lord, help us to grace each other by being forgiven forgivers. Let us extend that to others. Let us embrace your forgiveness May we look not at other sins, Father, but at our own, at our own hearts, as our first place to always be looking for wrongs. Thank you for the grace to do that. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.